Welcome to Briggs for Conservation, our conservation and research-focused podcast. I'm Felina Richardson, Volunteer Engagement Specialist and your host for today's episode. This month's episode is part two in our series about climate change conversations. To hear part one, please check out our interview with Conservation Coordinator Zach Kahn and Assistant Curator Sheridan Plouffe. In this month's episode, we're going to talk about why we should be talking about climate change with zoo visitors and the superpower that you don't even know you have. In 2018, I read a paper that shifted my whole perspective on how we talk about science and research. The paper in question wasn't a research paper in the traditional sense, but rather a sort of letter to the editor published in the open access journal PLOS Biology. The author, Dr. Craig McLean, was pleading with his peers to tear down the virtual wall they had built between their online, personal, and professional lives. He wanted them to stop tweeting about their science and to start Facebooking about it instead. At the time of publication, Twitter was the place to share research and science news, especially among professionals in those fields. Those working in science and adjacent fields were more than happy to talk about their work and other science news, but seemingly only to their peers. While networking with your colleagues is an important part of any career, McLean wondered if perhaps scientists were hurting their own cause by not focusing on the out part of outreach and taking advantage of an audience that was already primed to listen to what they had to say, their friends and family. McLean's data showed that the average scientist, or even the average person, had much deeper and more personal connections to their Facebook friends than to their Twitter followers. These deeper, more personal connections could allow for more meaningful and productive conversations than might otherwise be possible between two strangers or even two professional acquaintances. This was, as McLean pointed out, a very powerful tool in combating the spread of fake news and other misinformation. McLean was asking his colleagues to become, in his own words, quote, nerds of trust to their friends and family, providing factual and honest perspectives that might not otherwise be seen. Now, I am not asking you to go out and change your social media habits to become a nerd of trust or anything like that. That's not my focus today. What I do want to focus on is this idea of trust and why it's relevant to us. Before we dive any further into that, though, I want you to humor me with a little thought exercise. Imagine that you have a toothache in one of your upper molars. It hurts a lot, as toothaches tend to, and you need to get it taken care of sooner rather than later. Who do you turn to? Now, I hope that the obvious answer here is you'd go to a dentist, but I want you to think about why that's your immediate response. Is it because that's just what you do? Or is it because there's an expectation that a dentist has the tools and knowledge needed to address a toothache? Let's say that you found two dental offices nearby that have emergency appointments open today and you're trying to decide between the two. Your best friend, who you trust to tell you the truth, tells you that they've had a bad experience with one of the offices, so you make an appointment with the other one. You go get your tooth fixed, you go about your day, and perhaps a little lighter in the wallet, but all is well in your world. There are two things I hope you took away from this thought exercise. First, we tend to look to people or institutions with more knowledge, expertise, and experience to help us when we need it. And second, we look to those we trust to help us make informed decisions. In our example, we went to a dentist because a dentist has the expertise needed to fix our tooth. 
we asked our friend for their advice on which dental office to pick based on their own experiences. So how does this all fit together with climate change and what we do here at Point to Find Zoo and Aquarium? To answer that question, we need to look at how Americans as a whole view zoos, aquariums, and science in general. Every year, the Pew Research Center conducts surveys on Americans' trust in science, among other institutions and professions, including journalism, the military, and the government. Public trust in science and scientists took a bit of a hit during the pandemic, but the most recent report from 2023 indicates that, overall, Americans still place a high level of trust in science, with roughly two-thirds of people saying that science has positive effects on society. Now, the Pew Research Center doesn't explicitly place zoos and aquariums under that science umbrella, so I had to look at other organizations to get an idea of how Americans view informal science education at institutions. I looked to the American Alliance of Museums, or AAM, for some additional information. A survey conducted by AAM in 2021 showed that museum visitors strongly appreciated and valued museums, zoos, and aquariums for their ability to provide current, fact-based, and research-oriented information, and trusted these institutions to do so. Of course, there's an obvious bias in this data. People who responded to a survey offered by the American Alliance of Museums are likely going to have a high opinion of museums and other educational institutions. But in this particular case, I think that this is exactly the sort of information we're looking for. When we're out on grounds, we're not talking to the people who didn't come to the zoo. We're talking to people who made the decision to buy a ticket or a membership and visit meaning we're very likely talking to people who trust us to give them factual, accurate, and research-oriented information. Zoo visitors trust zookeepers and educators on topics like conservation and the natural world. They recognize that we have the knowledge, expertise, and experience necessary to care for our animals and to give an animal perspective on topics like climate change. Research has shown time and time again that acceptance and concern about climate change doesn't change with more information. The deficit model of science communication, or the idea that people are unconcerned about climate change because they don't understand it, doesn't really work. What does work is talking about it. As we learned from Sheridan and Zach last month, the best thing we can do to combat climate change is to talk about it and share our stories with others. It's not uncommon for people to feel alone when it comes to climate change, even though the majority of Americans are at least concerned about its impacts. When we share our own stories and concerns about climate change with zoo visitors or friends and family, we're giving others a space to do the same and show them that they're not alone in their worries. Do you remember that superpower I mentioned at the beginning of the episode? This is our superpower. We can enact real change by simply talking to people about climate change. We learned in our last episode that climate change is something that must be addressed at a community level. When we have conversations about climate change with friends, family, and zoo visitors, we're growing our community and giving real change an opportunity to happen. So don't be afraid to talk about sea ice loss when you're out on grounds. Strike up a conversation about ocean acidification in the Pacific Seas Aquarium. Use that superpower to make something happen. Thank you for listening to this month's episode of Breaks for Conservation. There's a lot of more reading material that accompanies this month's episode, including the article mentioned at the very beginning. You can find links to all of the available resources, as well as some additional information in the podcast description page. 
don't forget to tune into this month's staff chat with Operations Max to see a little different side of zoo life. See you next time. Thank <music> you.